Welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by FDN Thrive. We interview people who have dealt with the trickiest of health challenges, but eventually learn to get well and stay well naturally. Now it's time to hear from one of our detectives and learn how another health issue has been solved. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by FDN Thrive. My name is Evan Transu, a.k.a. Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. Now, this is going to be short, sweet, and to the point, but very interesting for those that have dealt with mental health challenges. As some of you may know, if you've heard my personal story on this podcast or if you ever just heard me kind of comment on it when I'm talking to other people or interviewing someone, then you know that mental health issues were a huge part of my story, especially as a child from about the age of five to 18, got them a little bit better in the late teens, early twenties, full resolution about several years ago. The thing is for me, the mental health issues were always being addressed incorrectly once they were finally addressed because I had a lot of shame around these things. I didn't really talk about it the way I should have. That's a societal problem, right? Not so much a Western medicine problem. But the issue is Western medicine intentionally, sorry, unintentionally, unintentionally is the word I was looking for, did a lot of things that kind of didn't help the mental health issues. And over time, without realizing it, I was doing things that were helping the mental health issues. So we're going to talk about both of those today really quick. The first thing we're going to mention is how antibiotics actually lead, or at least seem to lead, to increases in mental health outcomes. So we'll start with this one, and all of the links will be in the show notes to these studies. So this will be number one, or resource number one, I should say, rather than study number one. According to new research using medical records, people with serious mental disorders who were hospitalized for mania were more likely to be on antibiotics to treat active infections from, than a group of people without a mental disorder. Now, we have to be clear, this is a weaker one in terms of correlation is not causation, but it's rather interesting. And it ends with... This is a quote, more research is needed, but ours suggests that if we can prevent infections and minimize antibiotic treatment in people with mental illness, then we might be able to prevent the occurrence of manic episodes, says neurovirologist Robert Yolkin. This means we should focus on good quality health care and infection prevention methods for this susceptible population and pay extra attention to such things as flu shots, safe sex practices, and urinary tract infections in female patients. Now, that's an interesting little part at the end there, which you may agree with some of that. You might not agree with some of that. That's not really the point, is it? The point is, this research was indicating and showing the antibiotics seem to be playing a role in the development of mania. So is there a link between anything else? Maybe something a little more common, right? Not that mania isn't something that's dealt with by a lot of people, but nonetheless, it's not one out of four, I don't think. Well, how about anxiety and depression? This one is one of my more preferable ones and one of my favorites. Not that I like the outcome, but I do like what they're showing here. So this is what happened. 
They conducted three nested case control studies during the years 1995 through 2013 using a large population-based medical record database from the United Kingdom. The study included 202,974 patients with depression, 14,570 with anxiety, and 2,690 with psychosis, and 803,961, 57,862, and 10,644 matched controls, respectively. Cases were defined as individuals aged 15 through 65 years with any medical red code for depression, anxiety, or psychosis. Of course, they go on to talk about how they conducted the study, which you can go check out again in the show notes. This will be number two. Here are the results. Treatment with a single antibiotic course was associated with higher risk for depression with all antibiotic groups. Similar association was observed for anxiety and was most prominent with exposures to penicillins and sulfonamides. There was no change in risk for psychosis with any antibiotic groups. That's important to note, right? But relatively up there for depression and anxiety. There was a mild increase in the risk of depression on a side note here and anxiety with a single course of antifungals. However, there was no increase in risk with repeated exposures. I thought that was interesting. And their conclusion was recurrent antibiotic exposure is associated with increased risk of depression and anxiety, but not for psychosis. Pretty interesting. What does all of this imply exactly? Well, as someone who's in the functional space and as someone, you the listener, who's listening to a functional podcast, I'm going to guess that you've probably heard about this idea between the gut and brain connection. It's pretty well documented at this point. Still plenty more research to do, no doubt. But there is a bunch of amazing studies that have been done in somewhat isolated ways. And when you connect the dots, it's pretty interesting stuff. But I think it goes a little deeper than that. Because the whole thing is, the narrative that is pushed and has been pushed for years is that mental health issues are a result of neurotransmitter imbalances. That's why we take selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, right? For antidepressant, or sorry, they're antidepressants for depression. They also help with anxiety because they are inhibiting the reuptake of serotonin. In theory, making you able to have more of this to use And I say in theory because it is a theory. I'm not saying it's the weakest theory in the world, but we still don't even know that for sure. We're also playing a game of acting like we know every little role of every neurotransmitter, so that's kind of interesting. People don't realize, it's interesting to me because I know that you guys wouldn't care, but as someone who talks about this in certain settings in life where people have never even spent a minute studying the functional side of things, It's unfortunate how unbelievable some of the statements will sound or they'll think you're just being ridiculous. It's like, no, you're taking a medication that is theoretical. And then they have to start thinking about, wow, well, there's a lot of side effects to these, aren't there? Yeah. Not the point, though. Not here to bash that per se. Just here to change the perspective because these are not things that you wouldn't really associate with mental health always the antibiotics route really that can cause anxiety and depression or be associated with anxiety and depression yes here is the more interesting one to me because i don't think i don't think the antibiotic aspect is the most profound thing in the world if you're in the functional space it might be interesting 
But certainly you might have been able to put two and two together before and say, okay, that makes sense based on the gut-brain axis thing. Now, here's something that I found particularly interesting, and I'll preface it with a short story. When I was in high school, I abused substances. The main one of choice for me was very, very heavy marijuana usage. And we do know that marijuana can lower inflammation. Now, of course, smoking it out of a blunt is probably not the best idea, but nonetheless, it does lower inflammation. When I wanted to feel really good, and hear me out on this, because this was strange. This is a 16, 17 year old guy doing this at the time. When I wanted to feel really good, I knew that if I smoked and took three Advil, I would feel amazing. Now, Advil certainly doesn't cause any euphoria. This isn't like doing some hard drug, right? What kind of combination is that? And I never thought twice about what that actually meant. I was too, I just didn't have the awareness at that age, I don't think, or in that moment in my life to understand what I was actually doing and what that implied. But I was doing things that lowered inflammation and I felt amazing. I literally felt amazing. It felt like I got a temporary break from the things that I went through. And so actually somewhat recently, I think only within the last year, year and a half, I had this question to myself. I'm saying, if anxiety and depression can be caused by inflammation, and that's not my thought, by the way. I think some of you guys would have already heard that, many of you probably, that neuroinflammation might actually be a stronger root cause, if not the main root cause, for the anxiety and depression epidemic that we're seeing as opposed to just these neuro, uh, neurotransmitter imbalances. So then the question would obviously become, okay, well, if that's true, shouldn't things like NSAIDs, which are, you know, your Advils, your, um, what's another good example, Aleves of the world, shouldn't they help with that? Turns out someone else had already asked that and seen it. So there was a meta-analysis done. This will be number three in the show notes. The meta-analysis actually looked at 30 randomized control trials and it included 1,610 participants. So of these 30 studies, 26 suggested that a variety of anti-inflammatory agents, including NSAIDs, which are uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, so those are, again, your Advils and Aleves, Cytokine inhibitors, statins, and omega-3 fatty acids reduced depressive symptoms better than placebos. Now, this is why I love this particular report. One, we're using a meta-analysis. So for those maybe new to the world of studies, that's about as good as you can get. Now, of course, you could collect a bunch of stupid studies, but meta-analyses are generally the top tier. And we're doing a meta-analysis on randomized control trials, which are already the second tier. What we're doing when we, as humans that is, when we take a bunch of those studies, is we're looking for the patterns there. So it's not just one, because one randomized control trial can be pretty solid. When we take 30 together like this, this is great. And then we see that 26 out of the 30 are suggesting a certain, a certain thing. That's pretty promising. So that's the first thing I find interesting. But the second is this. This isn't just on NSAIDs. Because as much as I would believe we would have the common sense to think, okay, well, if the NSAIDs are helping, wouldn't that be supportive of this idea that it might be neuroinflammation causing the mental health issues? You know someone is going to be out there arguing that and saying, oh, it's just an unintended 
a side effect, in this case, a positive side effect. But here's the thing. It's the NSAIDs, it's the cytokine inhibitors, statins, and omega-3 fatty acids. That last one is the most important when it's correlated with the NSAIDs. What the heck is omega-3 fatty acids having to do with this? It's a very powerful anti-inflammatory agent in the body. And I don't even know if it should be worded like that. It's more that when you have the appropriate levels of omega-3s, you're probably not dealing with as much inflammation because your body can handle it a little better, but I digress. So the people that did this, they wrote, the overall analysis of 30 RCTs, which, uh, which is uh, the randomized control trials, suggested a significant antidepressant effect of anti-inflammatory agents in comparison with a placebo for patients with major depressive disorder in various efficacy outcomes. A significantly larger reduction in depressive rating scales was found in the intervention group with moderate heterogeneity among studies. Similarly, the response and remission rates were significantly higher for patients taking anti-inflammatory drugs with lower heterogeneity. Low heterogeneity. Wow. So you got antibiotics seeming to increase the rates of the mental health epidemic. And then you have things like Advil seemingly helping it. Now, outside of the fact that we don't give medical advice on this podcast as it is, I am certainly not suggesting that the answer here, let's just put it this way, if it were me, would be to go out and run to get the Advil for my anxiety or depression. The bigger question would be, why is my body so inflamed? What's happening here? Well, there's quite a few things that could happen. Environmental toxins gut infections, food sensitivities, issues with your hormones, metabolic issues, leaky gut for sure, or eating the wrong foods for our body. And I don't just mean ones that you're sensitive to from an immunological perspective. I mean ones that just aren't good for your body, for the season that you're in, for the geography that you live in, for the heritage that you have come from, I should say. Sounds like all the things that we test for at FDN, right? And this isn't just a plug into that, but my whole point is for people out there, as someone who has dealt with very severe mental health issues in his life, the other stuff just didn't work for me. The SSRIs did not work. Xanax, just to be clear, benzodiazepines in general, actually, Ativan, Clonopin, Xanax, they did work, but not without a whole host of other issues. It was a, it was a trade-off of problems. So to say that it worked is... 50% true. Absolutely, Xanax has worked for anxiety for me. It works fantastic. But I have to deal with the other things that come with it. Irritability. Absolutely no memory. <laughs> Fatigue. So is that really a long-term answer? Probably not for most people. And so it would be great if people understood that there might be another route to explore here such as this inflammation route, and you gotta figure out the contributing factors to the inflammation. Now you can hear more about what we do here on different episodes on this show and the tests that we use. We talk about that all the time, so I won't reiterate that today. But my whole point is, even if you're not gonna work with FDN Thrive, that's fine with me, go out and figure out what causes inflammation. See where the biggest wins in your life would be. 
I'll tell you, the diet's a great place to start. If you're eating a bunch of sugar, that's highly inflammatory. Not to mention the blood sugar spikes and dips are also correlated with mental health issues, especially anxiety and depression. That's what's actually really nice about this stuff. And I say that kind of jokingly. But what's nice about it is the things that are bad are typically bad in a multifaceted way. So sugar is not only bad because it causes inflammation, but sugar is also bad because it causes these blood sugar spikes and dips. So when you remove that and you give your body a chance to operate without it, well, you get twofold benefit. So you'll actually feel pretty good pretty quickly. I remember one of the first challenges that I did for myself when I got into this health journey was I wanted to eat organic for 30 days and I tried to remove sugar the best that I could. I ate some like fruit berries basically was it. That was about it though. I mean, certainly from where I was coming from beforehand with the sugar, this was significantly dropped. I mean, probably 80% dropped. My skin cleared up 70% of that time. My mental health started getting better. It was pretty remarkable stuff. So maybe forget the FDN thing for a second, because I definitely, especially with something so important to me, the mental health stuff, I don't want it to seem like it's a push for that. If you're not doing something as simple and straightforward as eating organic and eating without much sugar, give that a try for 30 days before you do the other stuff and see where that lands you. And I've very interestingly heard some people hating on the organic stuff, and I don't fully understand that. Because I think the argument that I've heard people make is basically, you know, if you're doing the right thing health-wise, your body has an ability to clean itself. And so, obviously, what that would allow is for you to clear out the toxins that come from um, these non-organic foods. Now, organic foods in today's world absolutely have a high toxic load. I'm not denying that at all. But to suggest that there's not a difference between commercially grown non-organic food from your local chain grocery store versus the toxic load of organic food from a farm that you actually know, well, that's actually shown to be notably less. So I don't know why we would unnecessarily put more and more toxins into us. Um, There was actually an interesting study done with a family. I should say it's an experiment more with a family. And it was a family of four, I believe. might've been three. Anyway, it was parents and a kid or kids. And they went and did organic for about 30 days. And I think they actually got tested after only a week and their toxic load dropped so significantly in that week. So I don't know how we can suggest that there's no difference between organic and non-organic. I think to act like it's a end-all be-all and that alone is going to be perfect is very misleading and very much a lie. But that could be a good place to start. I don't want to keep going on on too much random stuff. My point is that could be a good place to start with reducing the inflammation. If you haven't, you know, kept to the organic thing and reduced sugar to near nothing. I mean, you got to give yourself a chance here. See what that does. And if you found yourself moving in the right direction, but it didn't get you to where you wanted to go, that might be the time to call us then. And you know where you can find us. It's www.fdnthrive.com. You're going to either end up talking to me or one of our other awesome team members. And we'll help you out. We'll see if we can help you. And if we can't, the best part about our calls is we always leave people with somewhere to go or something to do. Even if we have to go back into our resources to figure it out for you, we will never leave you on the call saying, oh, okay, good luck. Sorry, we can't help and um, we don't have anything for you either. We'll never do that. Thankfully, FDN Thrive and the team itself is connected enough 
to be able to get you in the right direction wherever you might be in your journey. So www.fdnthrive.com, give us a call and let's figure out if we can't help you here. And man, if you're dealing with the mental health stuff and you've listened this far, I, I get it. And it's pretty hard to comprehend sometimes. I don't know, maybe it's not for you. Maybe I'm projecting here, but I found it rather hard to comprehend this idea that the things that I was putting into my mouth, the food that I was eating could somehow lead to these very positive clinical outcomes in my mental health, which seems to be this almost elusive concept, right? Because you 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 think of mental health and you picture your brain and it's, <laughs> I don't know, it's misleading. You can't see it or feel it as tangibly as you could feel a broken arm. And so I think it makes it hard sometimes for us to connect this idea that, ah, oh, man, that stuff that I had to say, yeah, I knew it was bad, but I ate it anyway. That, no, that that could actually lead to clinical outcomes in your negative clinical outcomes in your mental health for days or even weeks, depending on the food. Just something to think about. I'll leave you guys on that note, but I just want to say thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast. And if you like the information that we are sharing, please be so kind as to leave us a five-star review on Apple. We are at 39 perfect five-star reviews. If you guys could get us to that 4-0, we would love you even more than we already do. I am looking forward to talking to you guys again next week. We have an unbelievable interview for you on Monday, the, what is that going to be? Um, 22nd, I believe. Let me double check here. Yeah, Monday the 22nd, unbelievable interview uh, for the 25th of November, Thursday. We will be taking the day off. It is a holiday in America, Thanksgiving. And so that's a huge thing here. Most of our listener base is from America, although it's actually rapidly shifting into kind of a worldwide thing, which is awesome. But nonetheless, over 50% of the listener base is in the States as of right now. And so we will be taken off for that so that you guys don't miss any of the great information. We'll be back the week after that once again with the interviews and I will see you guys then. Take care. Thanks for tuning into the Health Detective Podcast. If you are ready to finally work with a real health detective on your health journey so that you can get well and stay well naturally, visit us at fdmthrive.com and click the Get Started Here button. 